Welcome to the Saints of San Francisco podcast, where we dive into work, faith, and fulfillment. This is a podcast for the modern Christian professional. I'm your host, Isaac Hall. Good afternoon, old morning saints. I guess it depends on when you guys are tuning in to listen to this episode. We're in the mental health uh, series, and today we have another special guest, someone who I met in San Francisco, um, but moved to the beautiful city of LA, and in my opinion, the best city of all time, Los Angeles, right? So I'm so excited to have um, Esther Sa on the mental health series for the Saints of San Francisco podcast. So um, Esther, I would do a self-intro for you, but I think I'm going to do a terrible job and I'm sure you can do it tons better. So Esther, did you want to do a short intro for our guests who's tuning in? Sure. So um, Isaac, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Esther. I am a project manager at a mid-sized tech company called User Testing. Um, I have a background in digital marketing and I'm originally from New York. I moved to San Francisco to, um, you know, kind of work in the big tech industry in San Francisco, like really wanted to try out, um, like working at an enterprise tech company. Um, and so, yeah, just, I lived in San Francisco for three years and then after the pandemic, I decided to, um, in LA to be a little closer to my family who moved out to Orange County. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And how's it been down in uh, warmer weather? <laughs> you know, it's the, the weather I have to say is pretty nice. Um, but it's, it's hard for me to say how much I actually enjoy living in LA because I'm mostly just at home, you know, and like, I yeah. love I love the house I'm living in. Like I'm living with my friend and we actually work together. And it's so funny because now our work is really similar. We're working on a lot of the projects that I'm leading. And so just kind of having a stakeholder like across the living room is so convenient because I can just be like, so this deliverable, that's like a week late. Are we just going to get to it or just <laughs> a little bit, you know? And so um, that's really fun. But yeah, I mean, like my life has just been so like compartmentalized, right? I'm just working, do Peloton, I go to H Mart, I go to Costco, and then the whole cycle just kind of repeats itself. And I'm really happy about that, at least for now. See, to be honest, right? that's a pretty solid cycle to go over, you know, every day. Yeah, like life could be a lot worse. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's that's pretty good. Working, Peloton, H Mart. Oh man, did you know Trader Joe's has a new uh, ice cream that's out? It's called like cold brew and boba coconut something. Like obviously they had to create a new flavor that's based around boba, but wondering if you heard of it. <laughs> I I haven't, but I did notice that Starbucks had a brown sugar latte. So Oh, I, I heard about yeah, that. Yeah, but I actually really don't like coffee flavored ice creams. Whoa, yeah, I know some folks who despise coffee flavor. It's just like I drink coffee as a means to be alert. Like I would never turn to coffee as like my treat. 
<laughs> you know, like, yeah. and I can't wait to top off this dinner with some ice cream and like that's been like spiked with caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I guess I mean for me personally, I love coffee, ice cream, and things that have to do with coffee. Uh, coffee, coffee. So, but I totally understand your point of view. I mean, it resonates with a lot of people. So I guess I'm. Sometimes the odd man out, but I enjoy coffee, coffee ice cream, coffee candy, coffee toffee. Different strokes for different folks. I love it. And with that said, I mean, I mean, I do want to address the elephant in the room, which is quarantine. Mm-hmm. You know, 2020's been tough for everyone, and yeah. people's been living compartmentalized lives, whether it's symbolic yeah. or it's based on your schedule or you're literally stuck in your room, you get up from your bed, you know, you go on your computer, you're not really able to see anyone. And especially if you see or live with elderly folks, then yeah. you, know, you have to worry about them contracting the virus. And obviously, I think, I think the COVID death count is like over 500,000. But yes. with all this said, I think that a lot of folks throw mental health under the rug. And I think that uh, the pandemic and the subsequent quarantine and just being stuck at home and shelter in place for folks in San Francisco as well as for folks in LA um, did things to us and brought to light one how important mental health is but two also how it could so easily be swept under the rug and it's a subtle thing that people don't realize is extremely important um, just in general. Um, and I don't think we're able to compartmentalize mental health. Like it, it's just, it's so integrated in part of our lives, right? So I think I lost sound on you, Esther. No, I'm I'm here. I'm just muted. I'm just listening to you. <laughs> oh, got yeah. it, got it, got it. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Moral support in terms of what, what I'm saying and you're resonating with it. But um, yeah, so I mean, what do you think about that? Just like high level, just thoughts about pandemic, quarantine, mental health yeah. and your personal experiences with it? So I think with quarantine, I think quarantine has really leveled the playing field in terms of kind of opening up a scoreboard of how people have been prioritizing their mental health, Mm -hmm. right? Because like mental health isn't something where, you know, you wake up one day and you're like, today I will be mentally healthy. Mm. You know, it's like, Mental health, like exercise, right? It's just a, it's like a collective, like series of micro steps that you take. And then you just, I mean, it sounds silly, but you like wake up one day and you feel really great. Yeah. Right. Or you wake up one day and you don't, you don't feel really great, Mm. you know? And it's just little things like, am I drinking enough water? Am I getting sunlight? Like, how am I spending my time? And like, who am I spending my time with? Like, what has changed about all of these behaviors? And I think the people who were doing the work up front, right, who were kind of like going to therapy, really understanding, um, like, this is how I de-stress, like, you know, and just kind of like removing a lot of variables and thinking about, like, what do I need to feel like the best version of myself, right? Like people mm. who were asking these questions before the pandemic, I think were 
are obviously a lot more well-equipped to deal with their thoughts in a pandemic. Yeah. People who weren't asking those questions before, right? And so I think it's hard to just make like a sweeping statement of like, people are doing well, people are not doing well, you know? Because yeah. I think for me, like, I think overall, I'm very proud of how I've been living my life in the pandemic. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I've put in years of work into myself. Yeah. You know, since I think like my mental health journey began in 2014, mm. right? Like the year after college, I graduated from college and it was like a really traumatic year for me, not because anything significant happened, but it was like the first year that I had been out of school. Right. Yeah. So I graduated college in 2013. Um, I'm always somebody who has done very well with rules. And mm. so I loved, I loved school. Like I loved kindergarten. I loved high school. I loved college, you know, and I don't mean I loved college because of, you know, I loved college because of the camaraderie and everything, but like I very specifically loved my classes and I loved my relationship with my professors and I just really enjoyed being a student. Mm. Like I just loved being a student and where my entire focus was just on asking questions and having educators who like, I had a professor who framed up college for me saying, even if you end up deciding to go to grad school, college is the only four years of your life that you can really study anything you want with minimal consequence, mm. you know? And so, I took that very seriously when she told me that because it kind of challenged everything that I had learned growing up that I have to study government if I want to, you know, get into politics, I have to study med um, bio if I want to get into medicine, you know, like there yeah. were these really prescriptive paths. And then I finally had somebody tell me, you can actually study whatever you want. Like, don't <laughs> even think about how that ties back into a trade in the real world. Just think about right. how how does what I'm thinking about and reading impact how I think as a human being? And it was really mm, the first time good. somebody had asked me that. And so um, I went from a world that was very meritocratic, right? Where like, if I study a specific way, if I come to class, if I do what I'm told, then I yeah. will receive a positive output. Yeah. I will get good grades. I will get positive affirmation. I will have engaging conversations, right? Versus like if I didn't do the homework, if I didn't do the reading, then my engagement in the classroom could only be so productive, right? Like how much yeah. can you actually say intellectually if you haven't done the reading? Right. You know? So I went from a world like that, like many of the listeners, right? And then I started working at an ad agency as an assistant search planner. So I was working on different um, paid search campaigns for um, different brands, including um, one of the largest food distributors in the world. So that was everything from like baby food, pet food, ice cream, candy. And you're just like, you're just like water, you know, and you're thinking about all these different ways to sell you know, different types of goods. And I realized that, realized very quickly that there isn't as easy of an input output, 
you know, and that was really traumatizing for me. You know, it wasn't like a blunt trauma the way something might happen um, like overnight, but it was just this gradual chipping away at my spirit, really. Like I'm a very naturally high energetic, naturally optimistic person. And every day that job just kind of chipped away at that, right? Where I would work really hard and I wouldn't necessarily get what I wanted, mm. right? Like I'd, re- I'd work really hard to do an analysis. I'd get stuck and then I'd spend like the whole day trying to fix it. And then I wouldn't get a good job from my boss, you mm. know, which is something that I was so used to getting from my professors, from my classmates. And I, that's like not even something within the four years. That's like affirmation that I've gotten since I was five. Yeah. You know, and so it was really traumatizing for me to just be like, how come this isn't working? You know, like, am I not smart? Mm. Like, also, more importantly, like, have I just played this long-term con game, like, starting from when I was four into, like, being 22, where I've just convinced everybody that I'm smart when Mm. actually I'm stupid, you know, and... Then there was a bigger fear was like, oh, my God, I've actually known my entire life that I was less than. And now it's really coming to the surface, like the jig is up, you know. Mm -hmm. And so my insecurity and my imposter syndrome, pretty much like every insecurity that I've ever had in my life, kind of like boiled up to the surface that year. This was 2014. Yeah. 2013 into 2014, you know, because graduated in May. I started the job in June, you know, like I was just ready to go. Like I had applied to a hundred jobs after college. Like I had a whole spreadsheet Mm. where I applied to a hundred jobs, everything from like working at the Taco Bell in Northampton, Massachusetts, like my (laughs) college town to like becoming like an, an assistant at Google. Like I applied to every job under the sun because one thing I wasn't going to do was not work. Mm. you know like one thing I was going to do was become somebody and even if it meant and like for me at the time like becoming somebody meant you know like working and really like just making use of herself like I had so much to prove I had such an appetite to prove greatness that Mm. being at home just was not an option for me yeah and so I started working And I was just over the moon that I got this job, you know, because I didn't study marketing. I studied philosophy and American studies, you know, and so I was really proud of myself for like one, proving my dad wrong that I was employable, despite the fact that I had this (laughs) crunchy granola education, you know, and so um, like that felt really good. And then I got there and there were so many basic skills that I just did not have. Right. Like I just didn't know how to do basic analyses. I didn't know how to differentiate between writing clear sentences, which is something I'm good at, right? And then communicating insights that customers are interested in, right? So it's like, how do I communicate in a way that is catered towards another person who is really more focused on commerce and growth than they yeah. are about like meta insights, you know? Yeah, and like, yeah. that was another thing. Like I just did not have, 
I entered capitalism. I entered this market without really having full understanding of what I was getting myself into, you know, because I, yeah. I don't naturally gravitate towards being industry. Like I naturally gravitate more towards community building and just ideation. So it was just like, I'm like, I, I don't care about how much your CPC went down. Like I'm much more interested to learn about how these water products are different across the country. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then like, you know, it's just like a lot of direction of like, right, but you're like the only one that cares about that on this call. So maybe you shouldn't talk about it. I'm like, huh, okay, interesting. Like, and so like little things like that just started to chip away at me because it just simult it was like insecurities coming to the surface, confidence yeah. going down. And I'm just trying to figure out who I am here, you know? Mm. And and like it, it and I was also dating somebody at the time. Like I was dating my college boyfriend who was just the like epitome of like like a great first Christian church boyfriend you know who just like wanted marriage and like he just like wants to have like a nice christian wife and a nice christian baby and a nice christian house and a nice christian neighborhood you know and like i was like i can't give you that when my entire identity is like going up in flames right now mm. you know and like he yeah. wasn't working and I was kind of dealing with this and I feel like anybody who like graduates college and starts working, they like understand the trauma I'm talking about. Right. It's not yeah, a yeah. trauma, but it's just this gradual chipping away at your confidence and like this identity that you felt. <clears throat> and when like I was really struggling in that job and the relationship was getting to a point where we either had to like get married or like we it like wasn't looking like we were gonna stay together and like mm -hmm. i really just i needed to leave like both the relationship and the job you know where i was terrified of being alone because then i'd be like alone and stupid right <laughs> because like not only was i bad at my job but then i would be without a partner you know, but then I'm like, I mean, it's better than being in partnership with somebody who you clearly know you're not a good fit with, right? Like you, like me, I am clearly not happy, right? So then I had to do this judgment where I was like, what am I more afraid of? Am I more afraid of being miserable or am I more afraid of being alone? Yeah. Right. And then, obviously there's no winners in a game like that right like what an awful what an awful game to play you know and um i realized you know okay i think i'd much rather risk being and it was like dramatic like 22 year old esther like i think or like 24 or something it's like i think i would much rather be alone forever than feel this way forever right and so after that like both that job and that relationship is when i started solo traveling and it's also when i just started taking a lot of risks in my career right mm -hmm. like i just got to the point where i said okay clearly everything you thought about both yourself and your future 
have been had just gone sideways right like let's just take a minute and grieve that for a second right and so the upside of being wrong about things is that you become open to the unknown and you kind of let life wash over you a little bit right because not because you're lost but because like you finally awaken to the fact that you don't know everything because mm. if you had known everything clearly things wouldn't have gone this sideways Correct. Right? and you like and it did so like how could trusting the wave be any less reliable than trusting yourself right right and so i just started traveling first place i went was japan um and korea it's like just like easy you know like have family there or whatever um and it was also the first time when i went to korea that i started even grieving my mom who passed away when i was 17. Mm. you know and i just hadn't even let myself cry when my mom died because my mom died like shortly after my 17th birthday you know so i was like an old 16 slash young 17 when she died and you know she died at such a critical point in my life you know she died when i was i was taking the sats i at that point i didn't even know which colleges i was going to apply to um but I remember when she was sick and I just kind of saw all of the adults in my life just falling apart in their own ways, right? Or not even adults, like humans. My my brother was just becoming very withdrawn. Like he started smoking, you know, like all of these things. Like my dad was very outwardly depressed. Like he was talking about you know, like not wanting to be alive. And like, so I think, you know, he started experiencing suicidal thoughts and just very deep depression. And I just took a look at them and I thought like, not me. Like one thing that my mom really instilled in me when I was younger was just how special I was. Mm-hmm. Um, And she never really pressured me to be very smart. Not that like, you know, you can chill out and not be smart, but more like, like smartness doesn't get you off the hook for not trying. Yeah. Right. Like, like smartness, whatever that means, right. Like actual smart people would call that intelligence, but you know, like being smart would does not disqualify you or give you a free pass to be a bad person. Right. So like being smart doesn't matter. Doesn't, doesn't make up for having poor character. Like being smart doesn't make up for being a coward. Like being smart doesn't give you a free pass for not standing up for people who are in much more vulnerable positions than you, right? Like I would even come back from school with a test, you know, and you know, like I remember I got a 97 on this chem test, you know, and I was like, not only a poor science student, but I also did not study for this test. So I come home with like this arrogant smile on my face, like, look what I just did. You know, my dad, total grades person, like over the moon. I've completely fooled him. He's like, great, (laughs) fantastic, like so great. (laughs) My mom goes, 
I know you didn't study. Mm. And like nothing puts a damper on a party that quickly when someone calls you out on your bullshit and goes, I know you didn't earn that. Mm. Like you can't fool me, you know? And so that's just the type of person she was. And I knew even at 17, I knew that the type of woman that my mom was, the one who wouldn't let me get off the hook for a good grade because she knows I didn't put an effort, would not want me to use her death as an excuse to make destructive decisions. Wow. Yeah, like that's all I was thinking of, you know, when she died. I was like, she will not die for, she will not die in vain, right? Like this woman immigrated from Bhutan, Korea, came to a country, followed her husband, had no education, worked as a cashier, you know, at like a sesame oil, you know, place, and then ended up working as this, you know, accountant for my dad when he opened up his business, you know, and like started talking in English to insurance companies. You know, my dad owned a medical supplying store, you know, and I would just hear her on the phone going like, Medicare, Medicaid, yes, no. Like pretty much like <laughs> like the 20 words that she knows in English and just like barking them in a cycle. You know, like this was a woman who had grit. Like this woman would roll over in her grave if she saw me just being complacent with my mm. life. And I pretty much just took that logic and I just like went and I never looked back, right? Um, when I went to Korea at that point, she had been, she had passed away for about, what is it? Like, like four to six years or something, you know, like yeah. just been a little bit. Um, and I remember staying in Korea at my dad's great aunt's place, right? Like, so like my grandfather's sister-in-law's place. And she made me like she made me spinach soup. And I hadn't tasted spinach soup since my mom had passed. Mm. And I just like couldn't get my mom like out of my like like it just felt like my mom was wrapping me in this hug. And I just started weeping. And like the, like my this poor woman, it's like seven in the morning and she's just trying to feed me. And she's like, what is going on? You know, (laughs) I'm just sobbing. Um, And, you know, I had a lot of those moments, you know, like after that trip where I would just be kind of doing doing something pretty unremarkable, like eating breakfast, walking down the street, being on the subway, like being on the computer working, you know, in jobs. And I would just start like sobbing. Like I would just start crying, you know, and it was pretty much like, everything just catching up to me, right? Like everything that I had compartmentalized, everything I never let myself feel, even in college, um, you know, like I didn't even tell people in college that my mom died. And then only when we became friends for like, you know, like you develop like really strong friendships, like within the course of like one or two years. And I'd be like, I need to tell you a secret. And they'd be like, okay. Be like, my mom died. And they'd be like, like when? I'd be like, a year ago, be like, oh, like, 
Yeah. And like, it was, it was just one of those things where I, I don't know why I just didn't want people to know. I didn't want them to see me as less than because I had felt that way when my mom had passed away, you know, just the way people were looking at me and whether they, whether they meant it or not. Right. Like I, I felt so less than, you know, when I had people telling me that like, oh, like now that your mom's passed away, like you should wear black or like you shouldn't wear short sleeves or like even my dad saying things like you have to fend for yourself now type of thing. And it just made me like a very guarded person, like very untrusting, just very manipulative, frankly, because I'm mm. all I was always looking like 10 steps ahead. Right. Yeah. Like, how can I get out of this when I like whiff when I get like a whiff that you're going to hurt me, mm. you know? And so. um yeah, just like after I started taking those solo trips, after I just took this time to figure out who I was, yeah. um, I just really felt like the weight of having lost my mom, like coming down on me. Mm. Um, and it all really came to this climax when um, I was at Dropbox. That was the job that I moved to San Francisco for. And I remember the morning of the IPO, right? Like, we had all gotten there at like 4 a.m pacific waiting for um you know to bell to ring at like 9 a.m eastern so that's like 6 a.m pacific and i remember the celebrations at 6 a.m like everyone clinking champagne glasses and then i just remember that was the moment that i realized like oh my god like my mom died she's never coming back interesting because I felt like, and I realized, you know, in hindsight, you know, I think about this now, that was like three years ago. And I realized I had been building this shrine of achievements in front of my mom, in front of my, in front of God, in front of whoever, right. Saying like, here are all the accolades that I can give to you, right? Like this is everything I've ever accomplished. And once it becomes good enough, like my mom will come back. Right. And mm-hmm. being part of an IPO, like growing up, you know, growing up blue collar, growing up in like a working family where you're the first one to go to college. Like I've never been around such extravagance as I was during that day, mm. you know? And th- like, I even, you know, I would talk to my dad even before the IPO being like, I can't believe I'm part of this. Like, I can't believe this is, happening to me, you know? And it was something that I couldn't even imagine even in my wildest dreams, like even in the wildest fantasies I have of of like achievement, I could have never seen this coming for myself. And it was in that moment I realized like, okay, like this big thing happened, this golden calf like fell into my lap, right? I presented Mm -hmm. it and she's still not coming back. Like, wow, she really must be dead. Like she really must never be coming back. Like this really must be it, you know? And, you know, I I feel like that was kind of like the final crack in the dam, you know, like it Mm. started after college where I was going through a lot of these identity issues um, and really taking chances on myself, right? And then it just like all came to an end, like that one day at the IPO right mm-hmm. where i was just devastated you know like my face like i i've been part of like doing this performative act of like being okay my whole life so i knew how to smile and be like oh my god 
like congratulations to everyone including me you know but it's like, <laughs> not really you know i was so broken inside and i felt like weeping you know because i realized like my like this then then what the what have i been doing mm. the past 10 years like I've made these decisions that I have been uncomfortable with, right? Like I've chosen career paths that I have no desire to be in, right? Like to show that I can, mm. to show that I was good enough. You know, I went into something analytical and quantitative because I wanted to prove to God, to myself, like to anybody and everybody that I was good enough. You know, and if I was able to do this, then my mom would come back. And like, because all of that came crashing down, right? Because I've had to do that work for so long, like just to tie it back really quick, like that's why I know that this pandemic is different for everybody because whatever mental health issues, whatever trauma you're dealing with that you're not confronting, like it will find a way to catch up to you. Yeah, right. And that's, so but that's, yeah. And that, that's why I know that the pandemic has been, you know, on such a variant scale for different people, because yeah. for somebody like me, you know, not to toot my own horn, but like my mental health journey has been going on for nearly a decade. Yeah. You know, like I've been through hell and back trying to find like my equilibrium, you know, like at the cost of relationships, at the cost of, you know, my career at times, like at the cost of friendships, you know, communities where like nothing is more important than me finding my stable state and just being at peace with everything that's happened in my life, yeah. you know, and like that work, you know, it doesn't always look like traveling. It's not always like this eat, pray, love thing, you know, although sometimes it is, you know, it's sometimes it's crying in your room. Sometimes it's taking space from different people, different communities. It's going to therapy. And like, even that, like therapy takes like months before it becomes better. Like it gets worse before it gets better, yeah. you know? And like, you're in that room just being like, am I doing the right thing? Like, why am I spending so much time out of my day, right? Like therapy in itself is like, like a two and a half hour ordeal between the commute and the 50 minutes and then commuting back home or to the office or wherever you are, mm -hmm. you know, like you're spending so much time, like focused on healing yourself and making yourself better, you know, that, you just and, and like it, it gets worse before it gets better because you're confronting these things that you normally haven't that you're just like am i even doing the right thing right mm -hmm. like am i is this like what am i even trying to get out of this right now because i can't really see anything you know but um, like i think like during this pandemic i've honestly seen like the fruits of so much of the work that i've been doing because yeah. I am very comfortable being by myself, you know, I used to mm -hmm. consider that being lonely. Like I have this girlfriend, Isabel, who I used to just call her like after, um, you know, that first relationship ended where I'd be like, I'm completely alone. 
You know, mm-hmm. she's like, Esther, you're lonely. You're not alone. Like you, like you have people who love you. You are not alone. Yeah. You know, like what you're experiencing is loneliness. And I was like, oh my God, like there's a difference between loneliness and being alone. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're just like these little nuances that you don't really um, understand. And then like now you have the words for it, you know, where it's like, if I am feeling a little antsy at home, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to feel a little isolated. Like, what do I normally do to not feel isolated? Okay, I can like go get a quick workout in, I can FaceTime a friend, can watch some TV, journal. Um, And so like you realize like how quickly your body, if you give it a chance, can adapt to these symptoms. And like, and that's, that only happens if you put in the time and the energy to get to know yourself, you know? And yeah, for me, like I've, I've put in nearly a decade of work on that and yeah. I'm proud of myself. Awesome. Well, Esther, thanks for sharing that journey. Uh, I feel like it's, you know, your journey can be similar to a lot of folks mm-hmm. or it's not similar to a lot of folks where like, for example, for me, my, you know, I wasn't self-aware in college. All I wanted to do was, you know, like, you know, maybe do well in school and pick up chicks and be cool. And and that was it. And, and then until I graduated college did I have like a manifestation of like more self-awareness of like, I'm not indestructible. I'm going to be wrong most of the times. You know, people are going to kind of buffet around my ego and, and I'm going to question my intelligence all the time. But for you, I think what I noticed with your journey was constant iteration yeah. within yourself and how you're interacting with your environment and also your milestones. But I think like the two very poignant things that I heard from you was like, there were capstones in your life that really determined the trajectory of your life. Yeah. Professionally, personally, and mentally. The first one being obviously when your mom passed away and your brother and your dad wasn't doing well. And, you know, your mom had this grand charismatic persona of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, doing what you can and utilizing this power of grit and resilience to elevate yourself. Right. And you really took that to heart. And um, that was one big thing that people are anchored to, right? It's like their first really big trauma or loss. And I mean, first off, like, Maybe it's too late to say condolences, but I remember you mentioning in our first season of CG together about your mom um, passing and you opening up and like, thank you so much for your courage and for, for sharing that and for reaching out to the community and being vulnerable Mm -hmm. and letting us know. I I know it was probably difficult for you and and that was your area of trauma and loss, which you know, kind of was this platform for your personal journey, your rocket ship into becoming someone and not allowing this loss to get in the way of your growth and and using this as an excuse not to, you know, impede on who your mom wanted you to uh, be and who she believed you were going to be in the future. Um, But then this, the, 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 the kind of like the other capstone moment is, you know, where at climax when you're at Dropbox, IPO, you're, you know, you could hear the tinkering of the champagne glasses. You woke up really early to make sure you heard the ringing of the bell. And, you know, now, you know, you can buy Dropbox stock on, on the New York Stock Exchange. 
but then it was that moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I've been living my life, not necessarily for myself, but for my mom to come back, right? Doing what she told me to do and what she told me to be and accomplishing that. And you had this thought in the back of your mind of like, well, my mom isn't going to come back just because I've accomplished X, Y, and Z. I'm just wondering why that Dropbox moment was like the moment for you to realize this like mode of thought that you're in. Yeah. I think because, I mean, it was, it was really as simple as the name brand recognition and the type of work that I was doing. Right. Like it was just a really, you know, like building out programmatic, you know, advertising strategy for Dropbox. Like it was a really, like it was a role that gave me a lot of visibility. It was a role that really stretched me. And I just was still like, I just still lacked a lot of confidence, right? And and I think it was more of like, I had this chip on my shoulder of like, of like that 23 year old who like didn't want to do this work right like Mm. it was something that was just not really filling my soul whatever that meant right but because i started off at such a negative right like i just wasn't good at it and it just it, it or like a better way to say it i guess is like this type of work didn't come naturally to me right and because i had to put in so much energy and effort i was like surely in like the shrine that i'm building to barter with god like this should mean something mm. right like this should carry like 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 pound for pound like this should i'm punching above my weight here like this is this is something that like I should get credit for like i i should get acknowledgement for this that i went out of my way to like develop a mastery in something that i i'm not naturally gifted in Mm. right and so and that's like another thing right like i i didn't have a voice in my head or rather like the voice in my head that's supposed to be there and for everyone saying like it's like ring 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 like this doesn't feel good i don't know if we should be going in this direction right like Mm. i just completely like stomped her out you know where i was like no i must like i must go down this path Right. Like I have so much to prove. Uh, There's so much at stake, you know. And so Mm. when all of that happened and my mom didn't come back, I was like, then what the hell have I been doing since I graduated? Like it was truly a moment where I was completely mystified with where my time had gone, where my fruits were. And it was made even worse by like very well-meaning people who had looked up to me because of my career in many ways, right? They were like, Mm. oh, she's worked at all these name brand places. Like she must be so smart. And I'm like, guys, it was, none of it was real. Like I, I, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like the person that they were looking up to me as, Mm. you know? And that was another part of it, right? Where it was like, I'm so deep into this lie right? Like I'm so deep into this inauthenticity about who I am, what I want to do, that I don't know how to get out of this. 
Mm. Like, I just don't know how to get out of this. And, um, you know, I had had suicidal thoughts before, right? Like when I was 25, I was very depressed and suicidal. Like I didn't even have the language for it at the time, but I was feeling very depressed and suicidal. And then um, when I was like, after, after Dropbox, like I honestly, like I was feeling, I could, I could hear the same voices again, where I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can be left alone because I don't know if I'm going to, you know, like harm myself. Like, I don't know if I'm just going to do it. And so I like have honestly just clawed my way out of that. And I realized that the only way I was able to do that is when I just let everything go. Mm. Right. Like I just had to stop being afraid of like anything. Cause at, at this point I told myself, like you have seen like everything there is to see, you know, mm. like you can't like, what's the worst thing that could happen if you take a chance and try something else, mm. right? Like you get rejected, you know, like I, I've faced more than rejection. Like I've faced insurmountable loss. Like I can take it. Mm. Right. And then the best part about it was, is like when I was trying different things, rejection didn't actually feel that bad. You know, like I, I actually ended up applying to grad school um, to become a marriage family counselor, like while I was applying to my job at user testing. And I thought to myself, like, well, this will be interesting. Like, I don't really know what's about to happen. Like I might get both opportunities. I might get neither opportunity, you mm -hmm. know? And I thought to myself like, and, and that's okay, right? Like no matter what happens, like I will figure it out. And it's like this, this lesson that I learned in my traveling, right? Where before I started that, I thought like every, I would catastrophize everything. Like if anything went off track, like everything would be over, you know, like, and then, and then really like casual things. Like I would be in Tokyo and then I would make a wrong turn and I would have no idea where I was and I didn't have any <laughs> 4G or 5G, you know? So then like, I was just wandering, you know? And then part of me was annoyed because I was wandering but then the other part of me is like, Oh, I didn't get like struck by lightning because I made a wrong turn. You know, like I'm not gonna not find a place to sleep because I made a wrong turn. Like I'll figure this right. out, right. you know? And you just have like little bits like that. And so then I actually got the job at user testing, obviously, right? Still here, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I actually, I didn't get into grad school, you know? Like two out of two schools, like both in San Francisco and I didn't get in, you know? And I think, it's it's interesting because I think when I didn't get into school, I was thinking, huh, okay, right? Like I was surprised by how much I didn't internalize that rejection, you know, mm -hmm. which is like, which was very positive for me because I was like, I am able to, I'm able to understand that things are happening like in a way where it doesn't impact my self-worth. And I feel like I resonate, resonate with so many of the things you said. I'm sure the listeners too, you know, who come from immigrant backgrounds, um, Korean American or Asian American families. I mean, you don't have to be Korean American or Asian American to have parents with um, high expectations. And then you set high expectations for yourselves. And 
you did really well in structure and then you know you it was like a fair meritocracy you you put in yeah. what you put in you got what you got out and yeah. then life just slaps you in the face and then punches you in the face and then kicks you in the stomach and you're like what is going on and and a lot of the times we have this self determinism for folks who are similar to you and I answer because I, I definitely resonate with the fact that like you do what you need to do one because failure is not an option but two I feel like there's this part of you that feel like if you work your fucking hardest that somehow this trauma this pain this loss this impossible syndrome uh imposter sim- syndrome or the blame game that you p- play for your life and and how critical you are and how afraid you are of the unknown, the, the fear, the, 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 the toxic fear of failure where you just can't move forward. You realize I'm just so going to, it's so paralyzing. So you say defense mechanism, I'm going to work really hard. Meritocracy, meritocracy, social clout, professional clout. Yep. I'm going to do what it takes. But then you, reach a place in your life, maybe it's like a redemptive period or another capstone where you climax and then you realize like, holy shit, I haven't been paying attention to how I was actually feeling and all this stuff that I thought would be solved by doing X, Y, Z things was actually not the case. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, I mean, that, that's the whole thing about like, it all catches up to you, right? Like, there's, there was this whole toxic underbelly of emotions that was happening with me, right? Like primarily from like this trauma of losing my mom, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just made me feel like so inadequate. I like blamed myself, you know, for my mom passing away. And it like really, like it, it really did it really was like the biggest decision driver, right? For the last decade. Yeah. Which is like the scariest thing because, you know, like the average like spectator looks at my life and they go, worst, your life is unremarkable. Best case, it's above average, right? Like, there's, <laughs> <laughs> like there's nothing about it that on like a profile point of view that suggests that I've made any wrong turns at all. But then actually, like, when I was at that point just a few years ago, like, I was regretting almost every decision I had made. You know, wow. I was like, how, how could I have like sold out? You know, like, I wanted to get into academia, you know, like, I wanted to pursue a PhD and I wanted to just like, like, really feed my mind right because that's where i felt so good Um, and then i had this voice inside me i distinctly remember it that it said like no one no one loves you no one is looking out for you like if you don't make money to support yourself how will you how will you live Mm. no one cares about you except for you so like, how are you going to live? Like maybe your kids can go into academia, right? Cause they'll have you to love them and yeah. you'll be able to support them. But like, you're not worthy of doing what, of what you need, of what you want to do. Like maybe that's something for another generation. And like, I remember just like 
crying thinking that to myself, you know, but I ran with it, you know, and, and it's funny because like from the from like there, there are times where like I get back into like my old headspace and then I look at my life and I'm like, this is truly like the least ambitious I've ever been. Mm-hmm. You know, like there was a point where I was like working, like working like um, my full time job while having like three side projects. I was like publishing every other month. You know, I was just like a machine. You know, I was just like just doing so much. and. I, the past few years, right? Like the past like two, three years, like I, all I've been doing is working and putting and and using my own time, you know? And even more recently, like I've just taken a step back from like social media and like anything that would really monopolize my thought process. And like, that's been like my, almost like my, my only goal in many ways, right? Like how do I control my own thoughts? Yeah. Right? Like, how do I just get all this noise out of the way? Because I'm like feeling insecurities that I feel like could easily be avoided, you know, like, and especially like during the pandemic, you know, like you're so like, everyone is looking for something to just like kill time with, yeah. you know? And so I was spending a lot of time on Instagram and I said, like, what is this doing for me? Right. Especially with everything that was happening in the world. It was like, all the news that was already so awful just in its like objectivity, right? Like it, it becomes even more awful because you have all of this virtue signaling happening. You have so many people like sharing their opinions. It just becomes so much noise and you all of a sudden start to lose track of what you feel and what your voice is. And mm. I'm thankful that at this point, like I was able to recognize that being like, oh, I'm getting lost in the mix of whatever this is. Like I need to take a step back. Otherwise I'm going to lose control over, you know, like the, like what I'm thinking, you know? And so, yeah, like that's really where the work has been for me. Yeah. It's, 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 it's crazy because, you know, once you go through trauma and loss and you've had so many years doing what you're doing and you know you're 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 in the storm pretty much it's up one moment clear skies and then it's down and you're kind of uh, navigating and rearranging and working on yourself professionally personally mentally going to therapists joining communities making new friends you know losing friends because you know they're maybe not the best for your mental health and go through this 10 year journey. So now I'm thinking, you know, there was a certain path that you were taking that really stemmed from your loss and it kind of took you off the path that you truly believed your destiny to be tied to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then that happened. IPO happened. You're just Uh like, what am I doing with my life? None of this, it made sense to me, but now that I've reached this, a certain level of what you call success, like the pinnacle. That's of, yes. Uh-huh. Right. And then you realize, well, this isn't it now that I've experienced it. And then so from 2018 to now entering into 2021 and going to quarantine, you, do you feel like you've had, do you feel like you've had a pretty good run in terms of, you know, being self-aware, uh, making sure you um, feed your mind and your soul in a very intentional, healthy way. And 
um, just you know getting ahead of the curve in, in terms of taking care of your uh, mental health? Yeah, I mean, professionally, I think this is the most satisfied I've ever been. You know, like I love working at user testing and so much of my, you know, like the quality of my life at user testing has been because like I've been very vulnerable. Like a lot of the success that I've seen is because I was vulnerable and asking questions at times where I knew I didn't know the answer, but I was equipped with enough of like you know the work that i've been doing saying like worst case scenario you're stupid mm. best case right right like and like we've been there before so <laughs> like would it really be the worst thing you know so that's and that's the worst thing that could happen like the absolutely worst thing that could happen when you ask this question esther is that you're stupid right? <laughs> frankly like that's not that bad in terms of like cost benefit analysis best case scenario is that you not only get the answer to your question but you were able to help other people who also had the same question and now we're able to move this project along right so like the fact that i work with people who were able to see that and receive my curiosity and vulnerability with kindness and help me right like it's been invaluable you know and it's it's not to say that kind people haven't been in other parts of my career but i just feel so like i feel like the work that i'm doing really matters right and i just see you know it's so satisfying you know to see projects get lifted off the ground, you know, because it makes people's lives easier. There are certain things that you do where the quality of people's lives actually change, you know, like you're taking work that they're doing that's manual, you're making it automated, that like you can literally see like hours a day being changed, you know, and being um, reused. And so I think that's been really fulfilling for me to just be doing this work and maybe, 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 I wouldn't have enjoyed it if I wasn't in this headspace, like who knows, you know, but between that and just like taking a step back and thinking about like, like where I am in my relationships and like just how happy I am in like the stillness of myself. Mm. Yeah. Like it feels really good. Like, I hope that answers the question. I'm happy, like, if there's a follow-up, because I know that I rambled. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's obviously a follow-up to, to yeah. that more, yeah. more um, um, frame towards how we can help the listeners who's kind of like in our space, but haven't mm -hmm. reached this level of enlightenment, enlightenment I should say, of, of, yeah. of, of transitioning to a place where we're secure with ourselves. And the cost-benefit analysis that we do isn't as earth-shattering as we think it is. Um, yeah. I laughed at that point that you made about like worst case scenario, you're stupid, and people may think you're stupid for that moment. Yeah. A lot of Asian Americans or people in general who work in demanding fields and mm -hmm. have a lot of intelligent people have that paralyzing fear. And obviously, I felt it all the time in law school. Yeah. I felt it at KPMG because I, I'm not going to lie, I was probably the dumbest guy 
at, at my in my group. I was probably the dumbest guy. And in when you you are the dumbest guy, you know, you're in the best situation possible in one sense because you never want to be the smartest person in the room. Mm. And so there was a lot of upside, but at the same time, you're you have imposter syndrome and you know whatever you're gonna say. If it's dumb, then it's just going to reconfirm the fact that you're the best. Yeah, and then like your imposter syndrome, it's like such a vicious cycle because then like your imposter syndrome just flares up and you're like, but you are stupid. You don't need to prove that you're stupid. Like, <laughs> like this is no longer a cost benefit analysis. Like, this, <laughs> And so, um, you know, it, it's just so vicious. But I guess like, I do want to clarify one thing you said, which is like, I didn't hit this peak of enlightenment and now like everything is great. You know, I still have days where I'm very depressed and I still have days where, you know, I feel lonely. I'm, I'm a, I'm a person, you know? So I like, these are natural things to feel, especially in circumstances where, you know, like I, I don't live with my family. Like I live with my friend, you know, which is, great like we're super close now but it's more of just like you know like i there are days where like i miss my mom or like my roommate will even be on the phone with his mom and his mom will say hi to me you know and then like i'll feel a little something of like oh like my mom will never be able to say hi like i'll never be able to like facetime my mom and like have her meet my people the same way yeah, yeah. you know we're like um and so i guess like to that i would just say like you know, whatever you're going through is completely valid, right? And I know that gets said in exhaustion, especially like as a society when we're all trying to be more like mental health, like friendly and like conscious. Yeah. But when I say that your experience is valid, I guess what I'm really trying to convey is that there's no right or wrong way to grieve or be depressed or be sad or to process, right? Like everyone's journey looks so different and you don't really owe it to anybody to defend how you're processing your life. Correct, Amundo. And I think that's what I meant by enlightenment of like, mm -hmm. there isn't a set path for you to choose and you shouldn't compare your own experiences and how you find remediation in those experiences and think yeah you're doing anything wrong in the sense of like you're like an elephant in an expensive china room where every step you take you're like walking around glass yeah yeah highly critical of yourself i think yeah. i should have like prefaced the word enlightenment with that it's not no. like, yeah both of us are yeah. you know just like juggernauts that can get through every issue and we're just like destroying life and eating up depression in its path but it's more so the way that we navigate, it's more freeing, it's more liberating. And, exactly. and don't criticize yourself for having feelings and being human. Yes. And like, it's, you know, you hear a lot of things of like, like I, I talked to some girlfriends, you know, cause it's like, I think with men, obviously there's something really special about like men being vulnerable with other men, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, I know. Yeah. So then we can, you know, so like when I talk to my girlfriends, you know, we have a lot of conversations where it's this cycle and I, I know you'll know what this is where it's like, well, you know, this person really hurt me or I was really hurt by the situation, but you know, I, I'm really just gonna like basically like grit my teeth and try to forgive the shit out of them because like, that's 
how I've been taught to move on. You know, I'm just going to forgive. And if I can't forgive them, if I feel angst, then that's my fault because why can't I forgive them? Like what's wrong with me? Like I should be a good person and just be able to forgive them. And like, I think like that's something that I'm calling out because I struggled with that a lot. Yeah. You know, like I wasn't, especially growing up in the church, like I was never really given the space to like be angry, you know? And if like anybody has ever like encountered me on the street, let alone had a chance to get to know me, like I'm a very like emotionally driven person, right? Like that's like part of the sort of like, you know, having EQ, you're like very emotionally driven. And so like, I was never, I feel like even when I was given the space to be angry or upset or sad or any of these things, like it always came with a condition. It was always like, you can be angry, but we all know at the end of the day, you have to forgive them. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the only way that you can really qualify your anger. Like it has to be like a really healthy ratio of like anger to forgiveness where it's like with one part anger, like 10 part forgiveness, Mm. you know, and like that never, it, it, all it, all that type of logic and pressure really did was make me feel even worse because now not only am I hurt, I am feeling guilty that I am not able to forgive them for the way that they hurt me. There's layers. Yeah. Yeah, There's layers. And I'm like, we don't need layers on top of this. This is hard enough as it is, you know? And so I would say like for anybody where like, if that resonates, right? Like if, if that's a cycle that feels um, familiar to you, I would just say, you know, take that space to feel what you need to feel, right? Because like the theme of what I'm trying to say, I think pretty consistently today is it all comes and catches up to you, Mm -hmm. right? Like my, my, my entire journey took 10 years. It took me, it took a decade maybe like even 11 years to catch up to me, you know? And like, I don't want anybody to, if they could avoid what I had to learn, right? If they could like nip whatever they're going through in a year's time, or maybe it does have to take 10 years, you know? Like maybe mine did have to take 10 years, but like, I would just tell people to trust how they're feeling, right? Like you, you're the last person that's thinking about you before you go to sleep, right? Like your parents, like your partner, your friends, like they all love you so much, but when they're going to sleep, like they're thinking about themselves and that doesn't make them selfish. That makes them mammals. Right. And so like you need to be able to go to sleep knowing that you trust yourself Right. And I guess that was the, the question that I had, I guess, for the both of us is yeah. some time to get here. And obviously, both of our experiences were unique. And I think the lesson that we're giving out is don't second guess yourself. It's all going to catch up. So dig in through the trenches, figure out what it is, the root causes and work on yourself from there. And don't be afraid of the fact that there's highs and lows um, and moving forward and regression. But yeah. I think the, the, the you know, question I want to ask you Esther is like for our listeners it's like well that's amazing and like both of you guys have wonderful stories and both Uh scars and like went through it and went through the valley of death and got your stripes and now Uh you're where you've exercised that muscle where continuing Uh through quarantine Uh these experiences have paid out in dividends and has 
um, compounded on the, 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 the foundations that we've built from all the mistakes and stuff that we made. But like you said, hey, if you can figure this out and not go through the heartache of being in like, you know, when Moses led the Israelites, you know, out of Egypt, but yeah. then this was a bad boy with God. Let's just put it that way. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Was totally going about it the wrong way. They were wandering in the desert for way exactly. longer than they should have. And they should, yep. So, like, I guess for our listeners, it's like, what do you think were the top two things to get to where you are today? Like, obviously, you know, trauma and loss, you worked really hard um, yeah. in, I guess, what secular society would consider to be success that raised your social clout you've yeah. experienced the ipo mm-hmm. you, you know you had this redemption phase you went to a therapist you were part of the community obviously like this is our story and we got to a certain place where we keep utilizing yeah. this, this machine that we've built to um, further progress in helping our own mental health and moving forward yeah. but it's like for our listeners it's like what's like the top two points you think would help them yeah um, figure that well, out for themselves? I guess like the first thing that, you know, is important because sometimes this gets lost or, or it's not lost, but it's less obvious, you know, like this isn't the trauma Olympics, you know, <laughs> it's just like everyone's story matters. And I, cause, cause that wasn't necessarily what I believed, right? Like I would see people who like, this sounds awful saying it now, but it's like their pets would die. And I'd be like, you ain't seen nothing yet, baby. Just, just <laughs> wait, wait till you face real loss, you know? And I would, I would um, really, I would like delegitimize like certain type of pain. Yeah. Because I'd be like, well, it, like in my mind, like it was the trauma Olympics, you know, like you can't really know pain until you've seen what I've seen. Mm. You know? But then like, I, I would encourage um, listeners to like, if they're thinking that like just abandon that as or or challenge challenge and be skeptical of that thought like just just challenge it you know even if it's just marginally to say mm-hmm. i believe that there's a world that that where where that's not true mm-hmm. right where the trauma olympics aren't real awesome. you know and and everyone is able and everyone goes through things and everyone is processing things at their own time yeah. um I think the second thing that I would encourage people that is really important is, you know, and, 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 and I think this is really challenging, especially as people of faith where like, your voice is very important, you know, like, I think, especially as women, like there's, there's so much happening, right? It's like, you're, you're a woman, you're a female in the church, like you're a Christian. And so there's all these other voices telling you about the importance of voices. And like the one voice that's not being talked about is your own. Mm. you know and so like that's what leads you to ignore the fact that you might not be ready to forgive and you're like forcing yourself to forgive like that might be the thing where you might not feel safe around a person but you're like for in the name of community like I will invite them in Mm. like I'll invite them into my home I'll invite them into my life you know it's like well like those are all important things and they're and they're extremely virtuous you know like pillars to live by you know community forgiveness unconditional love all of that but like my voice matters too right like my safety matters my readiness matters like all of this has to be into context and like 
I can't be expected to forgive, to build community, to love unconditionally when I don't even know how to do those things for myself. That's so good. How am I supposed to build community when I can't even enjoy my own community? Yeah. How am I supposed to be capable of forgiveness when I struggle with self-hate and I can't forgive myself because I feel so less than, right? Like, how am I supposed to give unconditional love to others when I haven't even been taught to love myself, right? So at the end of the day, like, your, your voice is the most important thing to be able to channel these great things to other people. Yeah, isn't that so ironic? Mm -hmm. We mean that by, like, doing less for ourselves and not putting ourselves in the spotlight. We're actually giving room for other people to shine and do their thing, but it's actually never the case. You, you need to bring your unique self. You need to be heard at the table. And that in turn brings a different mindset, a different strength, a different value, a different perspective um, that people value. And I think that's something that I struggle with even to this day, even though I'm comfortable in my own skin and I've absolutely a lot of things I've experienced trauma and, you know, lived what you, what you call quote unquote hard life for a white collar professional living in the States. Um, but with that said, it's like, even I struggle with that all the time, feeling guilty and shame of not living up to my values and principles as I should. And it's like, obviously you're not Jesus. And two, even if it was Jesus, there's been times where righteous fury has been used on his end where he had to have his voice heard, where it wasn't just about turning the other cheek and receiving it. It's about getting your voices, your thoughts, your feelings, and your opinions heard and validating, you know, the importance of self and, and the importance yeah. of self-love. Um, yeah. And like not to confuse that self-love for being selfish, right? Like, um, you know, we end up making really bad decisions when we don't take care of ourselves, you know, like, even if it's like eating poorly and not sleeping, right? Like, imagine showing up to work at like, you have a 730 a.m. meeting or something. It's just like, like, I would be much better used to you if I was asleep. Like, I'm so useless right now, you know, but it's like, you don't put in that, like, you, you don't put in that work of loving yourself and like clearing all that garbage out from the world to really become reacquainted and like best friends with like your inner voice, like your soul, right? Like I can't imagine like how difficult this life will be. Like it's already hard enough as it is, right? Like if we want to be kind to others and we like, we need to learn how to be kind to ourselves. Yeah. And at the end of the day, right? Like if there's anything that I've learned from this pandemic, it's just people don't need another reason for life to be hard, mm -hmm. right? Like, and you might be having a bad day, there's no reason to share it, right? You don't need to spread that. Like, but in order to not spread that, like we need the tools to bring ourselves back and like show ourselves love. Got it, got it. Well, that was good. I, I think the, the tools that just to uh, reconfirm and reiterate for our listeners, um, I guess tip and advice number one is always challenge your beliefs, like be self-aware enough to look into your preconceived notions, what your ingrained perceptions are and just- Of suffering, yeah, you don't, over anything, yeah. You don't always have to like, I feel like 
second guess what's in your heart and in your mind, but understanding that there might be different horizons out there and viewpoints that could be right as much as your opinions are right. Or the fact that like maybe, you know, there are ways to improve on your own beliefs and your thesis in terms of your worldview, you know, have just having that concept in your mind and being able to challenge yourself day by day is important. And two, I think the TLDR version is like, life is hard. You don't need to make it harder. Just like be real with yourself, self-love, uh, make your voice be heard and don't discount yourself. And I think those are two important tools or I guess values to be at a good place where something like 2020 could happen. And you're like, listen, man, it sucks. There's a lot of things going on, but I feel good. As in, there are still bad days. I still get depressed. There are still losses. But at the same time, I have these tools and the grit and the resilience to um, use these tools to move forward in a positive, productive way, where in turn, it indirectly affects our mental health um, in a healthy manner. Um, yeah. And also building upon, you know, that foundation, that platform we've built for ourselves in the past um, 10 to 11 years. So we're on around that time where I, I do want to continue uh, talking and you brought up a lot of points that I need to step back and, and process myself, actually. So this was really um, an invigorating and refreshing conversation for me to even have on a personal level. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for your time, Esther. So is there um, any other tips or advice last minute that you want to give to our listeners or did you want to drop any plugs or endeavors uh, for yourself? I think that's it. Yeah. I'm not really on social media right now. And so I, there's no, I'm just kind of laying low and reading. And so if anybody has, if anyone like knows me and this rest, this episode resonates with them, like, even if we haven't talked for a while, like, I'd love to hear from you. And so don't be shy about getting in touch. That's all I'll say. If, if a listener wants to get in touch with you, how would they get in touch with you? Well, I don't want to share my email just bluntly, right? But is there a way for your listeners to reach you? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, at Saints of SF, uh, which is my Instagram. So you guys can DM me. Uh, yeah. If you guys don't want to DM me, then um, you could post uh, on on the beautiful picture of Esther in the bio that's going to be coming out. So on the Instagram post, if you guys wanted to post, and uh, if you wanted to reach out to Esther, then press, I'll be the filter, the litmus test to see if you're not a creep. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, but yeah, you guys can also reach out to me at Isaac, I-S-A-A-C, Hong, H-O-N-G, 92, at gmail.com. So it's either at Saints of SF or Isaac Hong, 92, at gmail.com. And so if you guys want to have a conversation with Esther or build out a relationship with her, or you feel like you resonated with anything that was said in this podcast, then y'all can reach out and DM or inbox me. Um, and with that said, Saints of San Francisco podcast, mental health series with Esther Sa. We're tuning out, folks. Peace. Thank you. Thank you.
Hey Saints, thanks for tuning in. We'll be releasing episodes on the first three Saturdays of every month. See you soon.